Dialogic Disciple is an invitation to explore discipleship in dialogue with the world as disciples of the Word. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Dialogic Disciple Podcast. My name is James Johnson and I'm here with my co-host... Elizabeth Shaby. Elizabeth, how are you doing today? I was just going to ask you the same question, James. You know, I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. We are all set today to talk about the second beatitude or the second step in becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Um, this is a hard one, I think. Uh, this is... Uh, this is um, a difficult one to parse out, I think, a little bit and to deal with because uh, it's the most, in my mind, kind of the most contradictory in a sense. Ooh, why is that? Because generally when we talk about those who mourn, we're not talking about uh, those who are blessed in the same way, right? So you say mm-hmm. someone is blessed, you don't generally say that those people are mourning something or grieving something. So... I, mm, I don't know. I kind of disagree with you right off the bat there. Well, right off the bat, huh? Yeah. Man, okay, well, t- talk to me. What do you mean? I mean, I have felt the closest to God when I am grieving and mourning. It's it's the it's the valleys that I find myself talking to God the most. Um, I, I mean, I have had two very tangible experiences of God in my life, and both of them were brought on by a level of grief and mourning and sadness like a moment moments where i could actually feel a physical presence of god's spirit and it was wow okay both because of being really sad about something i think uh i think i've had some experiences like that before i think that's maybe a common way to talk about uh when we feel closest to god is in those moments there's where it's the darkest um so you and you're saying that's what it means here to be blessed you think you felt blessed in those moments yeah i mean it's it's a conflicting feeling for sure because obviously you're in a bad place you don't feel good you don't feel blessed but um man it, there's a there's a light there that comes in when suddenly you feel the presence of god you know with you in that yeah. and that's not a joke you know, and that I can hearken back to that at other moments in my life. And I'm like, all right, that's that's the thing that makes me stop and be like, all right, you know what? I'm not just some little like insignificant speck or, you know, I am. But God actually cares about me. Right. Right. Like I God actually is there. Then that's the that's, for a suffering human being. And that's pretty cool. That's the whole comforting part. Right. I mean, that's what it leads to being blessed. It's not that you're mourning. It's not that you're in pain or grief. It's not that you're in the dark. It's not the dark place that makes you blessed. It's the comfort that comes from God being present with you in those moments. Yeah. And when we can go back to the definition that we talked about um, the first week, we can go back to like what Bill talked about in his sermon. Being blessed is not to be happy. Right. Being blessed is, you know, is that is it's sacred. It's holy. It's, um, you know, I man, when I'm happy and I'm just like bouncing around, I mean, sure, there's there's a holiness to that, but that's not the same. That's, that's not right. the first thing I think of when I think of holiness. Yeah. yeah. And if we do, if we think about being blessed as being called out, right? Being, yeah. being sanctified, um, then definitely it has a, a, a clearer connection to those who mourn. There's a great Oscar Wilde quote that I think you actually gave me many years ago who said, he said something to the effect of, wherever there is sorrow, there is holy ground. 
And absolutely, I think that's, that's what favorites. you're trying to get at. Yeah. Where there's sorrow, there's holy ground. What is it about the sorrow, the mourning, the grieving that makes it holy, do you think? I think that in that moment we are just laid bare, we're vulnerable, and we are at our most needy. Yeah. And probably I could argue that it opens up our imagination in a way that we don't typically um, have access, access to, right? Yeah, yeah have access yeah. to on a regular basis. Um, yeah, it, it opens up something. I've always said that the best songs ever written are the saddest songs, right? That, 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 that like sad music is good music, and it's hard to write a really good happy song. This is the thing. <laughs> Adele's album was total trash after she got married. This happens to so many artists. You're like, they write all this. There was one other artist I really love, and I'm gonna forget the name of him. It, it was someone who was just like. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's just like this deep, moving, beautiful, soul-making music. <laughs> and then the person like goes and gets it's married, happy, yeah. and you're like, what is this trash? <laughs> oh, Ray LaMontagne. That's who it oh, was. Ray he wrote a trash album yeah. after he got married. I'm like, this is fine. <laughs> Whatever. You, uh, Live your life. But <laughs> just get divorced or something. That, <laughs> like, go, I'm sorry. I don't actually wish that on anybody, but geez. Yeah, you no, lost I think there, buddy. I, there's some poetry that gets lost, uh, some feeling, some emotion, some passion. I uh, I had the same experience with a guy named Damien Rice, um, who wrote the greatest, one of the best, if not the best, uh, breakup album ever, which is his album O. Oh. And then his second album, also great. And then he got happy <laughs> and got his life together. And his stuff hasn't really, he, I don't even know if he makes music anymore. I know he put one more out after that, but. Uh, you really you need people like that to suffer the heartbreak so you can get the music out of them, right? I mean, <laughs> it's kind of terrible, kind of but it's terrible, but it's true. But there is something, there's some truth to that that we have access to our imagination in a way that we don't typically have uh, in and those dark moments. You know what? This really makes a lot of sense. I'm I'm talking off the cuff here, so you can correct me if you don't like this. But everything I'm saying is scripted. I don't know. What... <laughs> a lot to do. <laughs> You know, we were born into the garden, right? And we're walking along with God and we don't need sorrow because God's right there with us, Right. you know, and everything is wonderful and happy. And I would imagine that the joy that Adam and Eve felt is a holy joy, right? Yeah. I mean, you're, yeah. you're walking with your Lord. Like God right. is right there with you. Like that is the thing we all want to get back to. Like, how cool is that? And then we get kicked out of the garden because, you know, sin and we fall and we're greedy and all these things. And, and then we need this experience to call us back to God, yeah, you know, and it's this, this access point that, you know, unfortunately we live in this world. We have to access God through this and I'm sure we can access God through joy and these other things, but it's um, just harder. Maybe it's a lot harder because we are, I, I think we get in the way we do. of that and we, we have do. to, and I think, I think more often than not, maybe this is true. Tell me if this is true. When we experience joy or happiness, mm -hmm. uh, whether it's a divine happiness or whether it's just the happiness of the Dallas Cowboys winning a football game, I, I think a lot of times I experience happiness as my happiness, yes, as my joy, right? And it's very much me-centered. But when I am in a, a dark yeah. place, what comforts me in those moments or, or what brings meaning into those moments is knowing that I'm not, I'm not experiencing that alone. It's not just my darkness, you know, right. the reason why I like those songs so much is because, oh, Damien feels exactly the way I feel or whatever. Right. 
Uh, and it's in those moments that we feel connected maybe mm-hmm. to not just to God more so, but maybe to each other as well. So when we do the hope and healing service here yeah. uh, at Northside uh, during the Christmas season or during the season of Advent, we uh, that's kind of the power of that service is, is being able to see that other people experience what we experience. I wonder if this is, you know, we're kind of just like giving ourselves where I won't, I won't put this on you. I'll put this on myself. Like I'm kind of giving this away as to just what a little baby Christian I am, because I know people who are really just those people that you're like, wow, you got some spirit in you and it doesn't ever go away. Like, do you have bad days? You know, like those people, they just like walk and they walk into a room. We've got some of these folks here on staff and you just, you just feel better because they got Jesus. And the only time that they irritate me is when I'm in a really bad place. (laughs) And I, I just know that. Right. And so, and, and I wonder if that is a mark of spiritual maturity is being in a place where you have that joy, you access that joy, and it comes to you in moments that aren't self-centered, right? And I think this is why we have to serve, yeah. right? We have to learn to experience this sort of joy that comes from something that doesn't necessarily benefit us or make us happy. It comes through seeing someone else and feeling that joy because someone else is getting what they need or, you know, yeah, something absolutely. like that. No, I agree with that. And I think we have to serve in order to actually learn that. And there's a deeper sense of joy in those things. It's almost like a sublime moment where you reach this space in your head and your heart where you can't even put words to yeah. what it is you're feeling. Uh, and it, get, it gets outside of your ability to categorize, right? And so it just becomes pure experience, pure feeling. Um, I, think that, I think that can happen on both sides of the spectrum, right? Incredibly yeah. happy moments or joyful moments and incredibly dark and, and depressing moments. Um, So in context of what we're talking about with this beatitude, what do you think it means here? What do you think Jesus means when he says uh, mourn? Uh, It can also be translated as grieve. Um, But what is he, what's he talking about here? What does it mean to mourn to you? Well, I think in general, it's mourning is associated with loss. Yeah. And so it's, it's acknowledging, it's experiencing loss. I'm, yeah. I'm mourning because I have lost something. And again, that goes back to this. When I realize that I have lost something, that's when I am vulnerable. That's when I realize that I'm weak. And that's right. when I am looking for something else to fill that void. Right, right. And, you know, again, like what we were talking about, if we're at this bottom place where we feel like we've lost something really important when it comes to, you know, the end of a relationship or mm-hmm. the death of someone really important, mm-hmm. um, then we're looking for something to fill that void yeah. and it feels like there's nothing else. And so we reach out to God. Yeah. So to mourn something or to grieve something is, is to lose, you know, it's to, to experience, it's, it's loss. To experience loss, whether it's something or someone or whatever it may be. Yeah. Um, I think that's right. And I think that fits within the context of what Jesus is trying to say here. I think as a culture uh, and even as a church, as Christians in the world today, we're not very good at this. No, We're not very good at the mourning piece. And in fact, I think the world tells us and, and, and sometimes even our own church tells us that you just need to move on. Right. Uh, you don't want to sit in the dark. Uh, and we don't, we don't mourn things that we lose in our life, even small things, big things, whatever, you know, there are, there are folks who, who are in deep mourning or people who are in deep grieving. But I think for the most part, what we want to do is just 
push through that feeling and get to the other side so we can feel good again. Right. But I, I am convinced that if you don't truly sit and mourn with something, uh, mourn over something, that you never truly let it go yeah. either. Right. You're yeah. always holding on to it. The reason why you're not mourning is because you didn't let it go. Oh, yeah. hundred percent. And you haven't really lost it. It's still there like a ghost or a shadow in mm-hmm. your life uh, that haunts you continually. Um, I think that's exactly right. Or I don't know. Um, I know uh, Reverend Catherine could tell us a lot more about this, but, you know, our Jewish friends, yeah. they sit you know, they sit in Shiva, Shiva. right? I mean, mm-hmm. for how, what is it? Seven, 12 days? Yeah. Something like that. Seven I, days, I mean, to just, they just be in that morning. I mean, yeah. whew. And, and I mean, no, at the outset, I'm like, oh God, 12 days. I don't, ooh, that doesn't sound fun. But I, I would imagine that that is quite a gift at the end of it because you are forcing yourself and to, to have, you're forcing yourself to have time to process that grief. That's right. And what an even bigger gift that it's a whole community that does that because right. I mean, I love that it's a cultural thing, right? Because I mean, sure, you know, I've had moments in this building when I have cried, you know, when I lost my dog last year and Nick sat with me and Catherine sat with me and let me ball and that was wonderful. But you know, I'll be honest with you, if I called in and was like, hey, there was a death in the family, I'm not gonna be back for 12 days. Yeah. You know, I mean, there might be some push, you know, there might be some right, give, yeah. but it would be kind of like, what do you? I mean, I'm pretty sure our handbook says three days, yeah. you know, like you get three days <laughs> and then you're done. And also if you're ready to come back on day two, then that would be great. You know, <laughs> right, like, yeah. we don't have and and this is a church right like yeah. i don't even know i don't even what know what it, it's like in, right in the real world right do it work at a bank no you probably you know yeah. you have to take vacation days i don't know yeah but, no problem uh, mm. what i like about that is that it, it it highlights the communal aspect of of blessed are those who mourn uh and one of the things that i, I want to continually remind us as we walk through these beatitudes is that jesus is talking to a community of people here a group of disciples it's not just these are not individual things that we're supposed to be doing i mean they are but they're also supposed to be done in community yeah. uh, and that's really the whole point of the sermon is that this is not these are not you know an individual's guide to how to become a disciple it's a community's guide to how to become a community of disciples or church yeah. A lot of that has to do with trusting one another and being vulnerable with one another, which means being able to mourn and grieve together. Right. Just being able to confess that we have lost something, I think, is also a, a big part of what Jesus is talking about here. In the context of where it lands here is the second beatitude. And last week we talked about blessed are the poor in spirit or those who are poor in self. And we talked about that in terms of emptying yourself or dying to yourself, taking up the cross, following Jesus. You, this is a, you know, the first step. It's the hardest step. You are dying to yourself. The very next thing that Jesus says then is here when he says, blessed are those who mourn. Because I think the idea is that we're supposed to mourn who we were before. Yeah. It's almost as though we are attending our own funeral, the funeral before uh, to, to recognize, to kind of sit in the rubble of our life and, and to recognize and truly mourn and grieve so that we can let go of uh, the sin in our life, to mourn the, the loss of, of who we were before. You know, a lot of times this call to be a disciple of Jesus Christ demands a great deal of sacrifice, sometimes sacrificing position, job, location. Sometimes it requires sacrificing even family members uh, and those and friends and people who are close to us and, and losing all of that. I mean, you can imagine the disciples sitting there around Jesus' feet. They've left everything. They left their careers. They left their families. They left everything to follow Jesus. You have to imagine that there are nights when they're sitting there with Jesus and they're like, man, I really miss 
my wife. Oh, right. I really miss, you know, fill in the blank. I miss the fishing boat. Peter's probably like, you know, I miss, I miss sitting on the boat, right? So they're, they're all in a state of mourning. And here Jesus, not only, not only is he saying, you know, this is the second step or this is blessed are those who mourn. He's, he's also given them permission here to recognize Ooh. and mourn the life they've left. And, and to now, until they do that and truly grieve who they were, then they can't move on. They can't actually be free to follow who Jesus, you know, follow yeah. Jesus and be like Jesus. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm thinking back to the devotional you did a couple of years ago using a you know, literal house as a metaphor for this. Yeah. And taking a wrecking ball to the house and then sitting in the rubble and looking, you know, walking around in the rubble of your life. And I'm thinking about the difference in that moment if you liked the house that you were in, you know? I mean, there's a difference between, you know, liking the house you're in and having to give it up and then liking the house you're in and having someone else come and wrecking ball it, you know, mm-hmm. whether that's a tornado or, you know, whatever, storm right. of life. Mm-hmm. We use this is a metaphor, right? Yeah. Um, versus not liking the house you're in and then something came along and, you know, um, and life's not always that clear cut, but right. um, the different kinds of mourning that you're going to experience maybe, or maybe it's all the same, I don't know, um, based on your relationship to your life and your house beforehand. Right. but. Right. Um, I mean, a lot of times, a lot of times when we, if we think of ourselves as houses, yeah, um, a lot of times we like our house so much that we, you know, we never make that first step anyway, right? Right. We never really allow ourselves to empty ourselves of of who we are and even make the room. We we're we're happy to like let Jesus in and have Him take up a room or two, maybe, yeah. or maybe even a lot of the rooms. And we act like we own the house when really the house belongs to Jesus anyway, right? So, like, he's the one who's coming in and saying, hey, you got to get out of here because we're going to tear the whole thing down and we're going to have to rebuild. So until you leave the house, I can't do that. Yeah. Uh, and so that wrecking ball of God's yes. grace, which is a, a phrase I love, a coin I love. ball of grace. Um, he's going to write a book one day, friends, but, well, and that's yeah, going to be the title. And that, Because I think a lot of times we think of God's grace as being something that's always fuzzy and warm and great and, and cuddly, but uh, it's actually God's grace comes, can be most present again in those moments where everything just gets wiped out. Yeah. That can be a, mo- a move of grace, um, which... It's hard for us to wrestle with, but I think that's exactly what happens when when we finally leave the house and God's able to knock it down and begin to rebuild something with the firm foundation in Jesus Christ. Yeah, and I was about to ask what it takes to imagine that, but I think I think that's just faith. Like yeah. we have to have faith to realize that no matter what I imagine the house that I can think of, no matter what it looks like, it's never going to be as good as the house that God is going to build for me. Right. Right. And I think we spend a lot of our times trying to just do renovation. <laughs> right. I mean, we're just trying to fix things up. Shove everything in that back closet. Yeah, yeah exactly. Shh. <laughs> So I also think that one way we can talk about the those who mourn, those who grieve, is is in the more traditional way of talking about uh, repentance and confession. 
part of what confessing is, I think part of confessing our sin and part of um, repenting from who we were, turning away from who we were, is that kind of mourning process of, of feeling sorry for what we've done. Um, and feeling uh, terrible about who we've become yeah. uh, and, and, and making the decision to turn away from that life. Uh, yeah. But that's, again, that's not, that's not something you just wake up and do one day. It's a process. And it, it, it takes time to, to really, if you want to truly, if you're truly giving your heart and your life and your mind and everything, your entire self and being over to God, then you've got to take the time also to value what it is you're handing over, uh, what it is that's dying, mm. you know? Um, so, it, it, because if you, if you just do it willy nilly, like you don't value yourself, then it's probably not real, right? How many times, I mean, I can remember when I was a kid, <laughs> uh, we ended a lot of our services in, in my home church and at church camp and wherever else, like with an altar call, right? You go down to the altar and you give your life to Jesus. I don't know how many times I gave my life to Jesus, right? How many times did I go down there and say, hey, Jesus, this is me again. I'm sorry. I want you in my heart, you know? And I'm sure that Jesus heard my prayer and answered my prayer every single time. I have no confidence. I have, I have absolute confidence about that. But what I realize now, looking back on those moments, is the reason why it was happening over and over and over again was because, number one, I'm a teenager, right? right so right. He, he knows what's going through my head. But more importantly, because I was young and immature, I wasn't really valuing what I was handing over. I wasn't taking a full assessment, you know, it, like Jesus says in, in Luke, I think, to count the cost, right? Don't, don't just jump to the plow, you know, and then walk away. Like, really count the cost of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And it means surrendering everything. It means letting the entire house be torn down, including maybe even uprooting the foundation so that it can be rebuilt. And it may mean that on a daily basis, you know, in Luke's version of, of his call to the disciples, he says, if anyone wants to be my disciple, they must deny themselves, right? Be poor in spirit, they must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, he says in Luke, and follow me. So metaphors are cool <laughs> and they're helpful. And I love imagination. What does that actually look like? Because I also like practical stuff. I'm, I see, and that's my thing. I, I like to build the palaces mm -hmm. up in the sky. I don't. Mm -hmm. the, you get my palace dirty with all your practical mud. <laughs> Every devotional, I'm just trying to get a little bit more mud in there. A little more mud in that palace. That's the goal. I used to have one page a week. Now I'm up to three. <laughs> I'm gonna start getting mud on your other pages. <laughs> so, what does that look like? Um, Right, I mean, we can sit here and talk about how it's different for everybody. You have to have your own journey, blah, blah, blah. Right, okay, but what does this look like? I mean, okay, so let's just, you know, if we want to use you and I for an example, right? All right. Okay, here we are. We work for a church. So, okay, I've handed over 40 hours a week to God. You know, <laughs> I go to church on Sundays. Like, mm, all right, but I mean, come on, let's be real here. I don't, like, exude God for me at every second of the day. Like, I've right. met plenty more people who've got that way under control than I ever possibly can imagine having. Hopefully one day I'll get there. But, okay, so what does that look like? What, what does this look like? What is handing over everything? What does my house look like when it is on the ground? I think it, well, it is different for everyone. But if we're using me, me and you as an example, I, in some ways it's not different for everyone. So let me just take that back and say it this way. That's what I wanted you to say. Yeah. Let me say it this way. Uh, I think it starts with uh, earnest and honest prayer um, with real time uh, on your knees maybe. 
even yeah. before God. Uh, and I think it takes an awareness of who you've been. So some kind of like self-assessment really yeah. of, of who you've been up to this moment. And it, it takes, if you don't know what to do, because uh, it may not be that God just tells you directly, here's what you must do, right? Yeah. Um, then it takes being engaged in practices that are going to help shape uh, your ability to hear God's voice. So what do I mean by that? I mean, reading the Bible, uh, but fully aware, reading the Bible, um, praying, maybe even praying the Bible, um, coming to worship, going to worship and trying to be fully present in those moments. Yeah. So doing those things so much that there's more of them than there is you. I think doing those things helps to create the space right for God to get in and we've just got to really be attentive to attentive to what the spirit is saying and I think a lot of times that comes through relationship and fellowship with other Christians I think one of the main things that we learn from the New Testament in Paul is that our access to Christ and to God it comes solely through the Holy Spirit there is no other access point to God than the Holy Spirit for us and that access point is most clearly discerned and most clearly felt in the church. That's what Paul says when he says that the Holy Spirit has been poured out into our hearts, not into my individual heart. Now, that's not to yeah. say that the Spirit of God isn't present in my heart. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying most clearly and most uh, and, and most pragmatically, practically, I don't even know what the word I want to use here is. The Spirit of God was poured out into the church. And that's what happens on Pentecost. That's what happens we see constantly and consistently throughout the entire New Testament and how they talk about this Holy Spirit. It's not designed or meant to be just my one-on-one -on -one communion with God. Uh, not to say that doesn't happen, but the point is that if I want to hear the voice of God and know clearly what it is I'm supposed to do about anything, mm -hmm. the church is the place that I'm supposed to go. Now, I don't mean the building. I mean the yeah, people no, of God who have been give, imbued with the Spirit of God. So the body of Christ, right? Where two or three are gathered. Wherever two or three are gathered. And maybe that's what it needs to be is two or three. You know, this is a great, great plug for small groups in the church. Uh, a program that we've uh, started here at Northside Church, but we struggled to get off the ground with any kind of real uh, velocity <laughs> or momentum because I think a lot of our people, myself included, uh, are, are, are afraid of being vulnerable afraid of what God might say to me, right? If I, if I truly commit myself to meeting weekly with a group of people who are there for that exact same purpose. I think another big hurdle is, um, is the time thing, right? Like I'm not ready. If we want to talk about it in this morning terms, yeah. I'm not ready to mourn the loss of that extra 30 minutes of sleep. I'm not ready <laughs> right. to mourn the loss of, you know, the effort that it takes to, you know, the effort that it takes to read instead of watching, you know, whatever show I'm into right now. Right. Um, because let's be honest, our brains are, you know, our brains are much more, um, watching TV is much more relaxing seeming than, you know, um, reading something, you know, our brains are trained to do this now. So I'm not ready to mourn the loss of that, uh, what that, that, that extra effort. I'm not ready to mourn the loss of, you know, giving up my evening at home, 
you know, to go and, you know, go to Theology on Tap and hang out with my Jesus people, right? Right. Plug for that. Monday nights, Monday night brewing, <laughs> 6 p.m. James going to hang out with you, talk about Jesus. Kids and dogs, welcome. Um, <laughs> open to all. Uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not ready to mourn the loss of all these other life things that I feel like have to be done. You know, and for me, even it's as stupid as like having a clean house, you know, like, oh my God, I got to go home and, do, you know, do this so that my house looks nice. And, but you know, it's, I'm going to have to give that up if I'm being realistic. I have yeah. to, so there are things that, cause we are just one person with 24 hours in the day, a good chunk of that needs to be spent sleeping and doing things like eating and all that like mandatory stuff that we have to do to be alive. Um, so I have to give up stuff and yeah. mourn the loss of that stuff yeah. in order to put this time into this relationship with God. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's the thing. And that's, again, that's all part of dying to ourselves, emptying ourselves of all this other stuff of allowing God to, to level the house that we're living. Um, and let's be, I mean, and you've, you've, you've hit the, the nail on the head. I mean, you and I are, are, could be considered professional Christians. We get paid to come to church, right? Right. And uh, neither one of us are, are, I would not lift up myself as a model. Nope. Um, I mean, me, I wouldn't lift I wouldn't up be either. like Paul no. who says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Right? I'm, I don't have that boldness. Yeah. But then again, the only thing keeping me from be having that boldness is just getting out of the way. Right. Uh, and part of the reason why I've not been able to fully do that is because I, I've been holding on to a little bit of myself. Right. right. You know, I, 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 I try to live my life in a way that is directed at Christ and, and I do try to follow Christ and, and deny myself and take up the cross. But if I'm completely honest in the confessional, confessional moment right now, I'm always holding on to a little bit of me, you know, because I don't fully want to let go. I let God knock down the entire house, but I'm going to keep this one room. Right. Or don't tell them about the treehouse I have in the back. Right. <laughs> or something like that. Yeah, you know, it's, yeah. it's not I, I, I struggle to let that go because I think a lot of times to let that go means I have to trust not just God, but other people in my life as well. So there, there's this vulnerability, as you've brought up many times um, in being able to, you know, to being able to mourn the true death of myself. And I, you know, I've, I've always, you know, been peeking out the coffin and not really, not really allowing myself to be buried with Jesus. Um, and if I'm not buried with him, I'm, I'm not resurrected with him either. You know, that's, yeah. that's the whole, that's the game. Romans chapter six. Uh, and that's, you know, that's the frustration that Paul, I think, had uh, with a lot of the churches that he wrote letters to, you know, is that we all seem to have like one foot in and one foot out. And, and it's not, and it's, it's simply because we have not taken the time to truly mourn who we were before. And we've not truly denied ourselves, not fully. I don't know. What do you think? I like that word that you just used. Um, I've tried to live my life directed at Christ. Cause I could, I feel like I could say the same thing about myself, but I think that says a lot is that word. You know, it, if we can direct our attention to something, but does it really mean we're like actually all there? We're not like fully committing. We're not fully present. You know, I mean, yeah, I, I yeah. maybe you didn't mean it that way, but I resonate with that a lot because that feels like a distinction to me. Um, directing something, you know, I can direct some energy. I can direct some attention there, right. but am I really all, all there? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it is a process. It is a journey, but 
um, we can say that all day long, and uh, most of the time it's just an excuse. I, I, yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Like, I feel like we're making excuses when we keep saying that over and over. Um, that's one of the things about Methodism and, and John Wesley that, that, and this is not particular to the Methodist Church, nor is it particular to John Wesley. It's, it's all of us, but we always make these excuses like, man, we're going to always be sinners, so yeah, I failed today, right? And, and one of the th- discussions we got into uh, in the middle of our Sunday school class yesterday, and it, it, it's, it's tangentially connected, I think, to this, but it, it, it's also a little bit off um, in a different sphere. But, you know, talking about whether or not we can actually conquer sin in our lives, which is to say whether or not we can actually conquer self. You know, in Paul's yeah. estimation, Paul seems to believe in Romans that we can, like that the self can be conquered, that we can die to self and be truly free from the power of sin in our lives without sin. If only we would die and truly mourn who we've been. And, and yet he also has this chapter where he wrestles with that. You know, I do what I don't want to do and what I do I don't want to do and da-da-da-da-da, right? Right. Where he, he seems like he's having a nervous breakdown. And so there's this, there's this tension, and I think it's too easy sometimes for us to just be like, well, I'm always going to be a sinner. Right. It's uh, hard. It's Life hard. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah. I'll be here tomorrow, you know, whatever. Yeah. But man, if, if, if only we would as the church really fully understand the power that has been given to us through the Holy Spirit to be free from sin, what could we accomplish? I think it is connected to uh, the way it kind of, as I said, I see the, I see the Lord's Prayer in parallel to the Beatitudes. So mm-hmm. I think that when we talk about being poor in self, that, that, that correlates well with our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, and what it means to hallow God's name rather than ourself. The second line of the Lord's Prayer is, your kingdom come. And I can see how this understanding of those who mourn, those being called out, sanctified, blessed, are those who mourn, who truly have allowed themselves to die, have, have given themselves up, have denied themselves, and have mourned what they have lost are now in a space that they can truly pray your kingdom come right not my kingdom yours. not my kingdom your kingdom because my kingdom has been leveled it has been removed it has been mourned it has been buried and now i'm here with nothing but whatever god decides to build i think that what, what you're saying makes a ton of sense um I think it helps to think of God's kingdom not as just like a super hyped up version of my own kingdom. You know, we talk about rooms and mansions and all this stuff and how it's just like, you know, one big old beach trip, you know, you know, it's just like sitting on the beach with God, whatever. I don't know. We all have our versions of (laughs) heaven that we imagine and, you know, and, um, there's been so much talk in our world lately about, you know, we're having, as a culture, we're having this, um, we're having discussions about oppression and racism and all this stuff. Yeah. And it's, it's helpful for me to think of it in the sense of like the more, the more selfish that I am with stuff, the more that I rely on 
whatever it is, like, you know, consuming or taking up space, then the less there is for someone else. And so, yeah, you know, you have those moments where you're like, oh, well, I just want to like lean into the fact that I have a little bit of extra cash to make X, Y, Z easier on myself. Right. And, but we do that at the expense of other people and it's just so invisible that it's easy to not think about it. Yeah. Does that make sense? I think so. I mean, and so like, like thinking of it in the sense of like, um, I need to think about a version of the kingdom or, you know, God's version of the kingdom is a kingdom that doesn't, um, take from someone else in order to give me what I want or what I need. Right. And sometimes I've got to, I've got to let go of my, like we're talking about my version of the world, my comfort in order to, um, give someone else comfort. Right. And it's cause, right. You know, I mean, you get into this whole conversation, all, you know, this, the injustice in the world and all this sure. stuff. But, you know, I think that can be very practical in a lot of ways. That I think we forget that's about. I think that's right. And, I, and that's what Jesus is getting at here, uh, I think. And, and I think I think you're right. So the, the kingdom of God is a place where those who mourn will be comforted. And it's, it's a place of abundance. Right. Rather yeah. than scarcity, as we've talked about several right, times. Right. But for Israel and for the Bible, the way that they understand abundance is abundance is everybody has what they need. Right. So that's what abundance looks like. It doesn't yeah. look like one guy or one family or a group of people have Having more extravagance. while other. Yeah. It doesn't look like extravagance at all. It only looks like everyone having what they need. So the manna in the desert is abundance, right? That yeah. is God providing for the people of God while they wander in the wilderness. If we could redefine you know, I, th- I think so. One of the practical things that we could look at, as far as what does it look like to truly mourn the state that we're in, that we have been in, we can look around and see how we've been very scarce in our mindset, or how we've uh, how we've uh, we've hoarded certain resources, or how how we, you know, both as individuals and as a church, like how have we kept the extravagance for ourselves and not allow for everyone else to make sure to work for to to look toward the place where everyone has what they need because that's the true abundance of god and the other thing is this if one person doesn't have abundance then nobody has abundance in the way that the, the bible talks about it it is an all or nothing kind of deal so regardless of how much we have or how much we think we have it is all for naught if one person goes without so there's a level of like those who mourn are comforted in the kingdom because the church is doing the work of the kingdom. Right. And for the church to get that done, other people have to give something up, right. In order for someone to be comforted, you know, I've got to do the comforting and that means I have to not do X, Y, Z, right. Like you can think about it in very practical terms. I think that's, that's really helpful for me. Um, so maybe as we go into the week, you know, you can take this on if you want, this is going to be my, be my challenge to myself is, imagining a version of my heaven, my kingdom and taking that extravagant idea that I maybe carry and trying to imagine instead a version where everyone is comforted, imagining yeah, not my own comfort, but shifting that, shifting that idea to the comfort of other people around me I and the people that I do and good. don't know. And really, yeah just taking taking an assessment of what are the things that we mourn in this life and what is it we can do to comfort yeah i I think that's enough to mourn for me you know like that's Mm -hmm. that's enough to mourn right there like (laughs) you know all right well this is a good talk elizabeth thank you so much for being here 
and everybody will uh we'll talk to you next week